Thank you, Andrew. Nice to see you all here this morning. Lovely Sunday morning. Great to be here to meet in God's presence and with each other. As you know, we are looking at this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. That includes us. And if you want it, it's in front of you, and I hope you might. That's in Matthew chapter 6, and it's verse 9 onwards. Matthew 6, verse 9 to 13. As we all know, we are looking together at this model prayer given by Jesus to his disciples and the various speakers who have been speaking on the subject and no doubt those who will come after me in this series are all contributing different emphasis on different aspects and different phrases within this prayer. And in doing so, there is a different approach, of course, given by everybody. That's always helpful to have these varied approaches, some more technical than others, the way the prayer is structured and all of that, some much more straightforward, as indeed mine will be, much more straightforward. But all of them are helpful as they help us to focus on what Jesus is saying to us. As I said, mine is probably going to be the simplest, but that's not a necessarily a bad thing. So let me add six things about this prayer to start with, just in its outline form. And if these things help you, or for that matter, if they don't help you at all, they, all these things begin with the P. It speaks about God's person. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God's person. God's purpose. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on in heaven and on earth, earth as it is in heaven. God's provision, give us this day our daily bread. God's pardon, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sinned against us. God's protection, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. And God's preeminence, for yours is the kingdom, the power the glory forever and ever. Person, purpose, provision, pardon, protection, preeminence. Starts with God's person and it ends with his preeminence. And between the two, there is stretched out for us in this prayer the whole panorama of Christian experience of those who belong to the Lord. And uh, what a contrast this is with the way we so often pray. Andrew's already touched upon this. So often our praying is so paltry when you compare it with the way Jesus taught us to pray and they taught his disciples to pray. Our prayers are often not much more than prayers of little children. You know, God bless mummy and daddy and all the missionaries. Full stop. That's it. You know, ours are not much more than that so often. And uh, it's a good thing sometimes to take the prayers of Scripture or the parts of Scripture, some of the Psalms, for example, and even use them in our praying because it expands not just the things we're praying about, but expands the means by which we express those things. And it's helpful to do that. We rightly uh, draw attention when we look at the Bible to the thoughts and ideas uh, mentioned in Scripture. Um, and we need sometimes to remember that it was given to us in words. We know that, but the words are important. The way it's expressed is important. I can't remember the last time I heard a sermon on the verbal inspiration of Scripture. It's almost dropped out of our thinking. 
that the words that God used in expressing things to us matter. That's why we take word by word and phrase by phrase in a passage like this and we expand them together to say, what is God actually saying? Why did he put it like this? Other parts, narrative parts, of course, we read a bigger passage and we're getting the drift of the story. But when he teaches, it's important that we take notice not just of what is said, but the way in which it is said and the words in which it is said. When children pray, of course, as I said, it's just God bless mommy and daddy and that's appropriate for little children. Uh, I I mean, they used to teach little children to say things, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul will take. Amen. Which is both questionable theologically, psychologically, (laughs) almost every other way as well. And almost it's almost banal. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John guard the bed that I lie on and all that sort of stuff. And we're not really saying very much that's worthwhile when we pray like that. But when we expand our thinking by taking the word of God and thinking deeply on not only what is said, but the way it's said, that will help us. And it will expand our thinking and our understanding. Words are important, not just ideas that are in God's word. And they also help us, by the way, to say, say, what is actually God saying by these things? What is he meaning by the things that we're looking at? The words are inspired. We talk about, in, and Paul talks to Timothy about the word of God being um, breathed out by God. And if it's breathed out by God, we talk about inspiration, but it should actually be expiration. It's breathed out by God. When the word of God is breathed out by God, then we should take notice of what it says in detail. This prayer, just 60 or so words, depending on your version in English, um, is full of meaning in almost every word. And we're trying to open it up phrase by phrase on these Sunday mornings so that we see not just the beauty of its construction, but its richness and what God is actually saying to us. We sometimes refer to it as there are three things about God mentioned in the first half and three things about us in the second part of the prayer. But I'm not going to do any more on that. Having said that, we can easily get sidetracked into analysis analyzing it but this wasn't given for that reason it was given by Jesus in response to a question that the disciples asked Jesus recorded for us in Luke 11 verse 1 they came to Jesus and they said Lord teach us to pray that was what they wanted so this prayer is not just to inform us but it's to teach us to pray to tell us how we may pray more effectively and helpfully they went to jesus because they'd seen john praying and they had heard john teaching his disciples to pray and they said will you teach us to pray as john taught his disciples the chapter before that in luke it talks about that jesus they saw jesus praying and when they'd seen jesus praying they said that's what we want to be able to do to pray like that so, Lord, will you please teach us to pray like that? After all, they were Jews. And the Jews, they prayed mostly um, written prayers, not entirely, but mostly um, form, uh, uh, formalized praying and so on, which can be very helpful sometimes. But um, formalized praying and uh, 
often it was repetitious prayers and so on. But when they saw Jesus praying, they said, that's the way we want to learn to pray. So Lord, will you please teach us to pray? And that's what we're trying to do here. They saw something different about the way he prayed. And as Christians, we know that prayer is not only a difficult discipline, it's a mystery. Why does God want us to pray when he knows all things anyway? We know that we should pray, and we pray primarily because we're commanded to pray without ceasing. Or as Jesus put it, we should always pray and never give up in Luke 18 verse 1. That's the primary reason that we pray, not because we get things or because we understand it all, but because we're commanded to pray. But they wanted to know how to pray, and so they asked him, will you please teach us to pray? But in praying in obedience to what God says, teach us, uh, uh, um, pray without ceasing, we do also receive. There is so much that we receive when we pray. And for most of us, the simplest level of prayer is that we pray because we want to receive things. Let me mention some. We receive from God. James 4 verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. We miss out on healing. James 5 verse 11 says, pray for one another that you may be healed. We miss out on victory over temptation when we don't pray. Luke 22:46 says, pray that you might not enter into temptation. We miss out on triumph over doubt. When it says in the scripture, Luke 18, verse 1, pray always and do not give up. Don't give up. We miss out on defeat over men's attacks upon us. Luke 6, 28, bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. We miss out on joy in the Christian life when we don't pray. John 16, 24, until now you've asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. We miss out on bringing glory to the Father. John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. We miss out on bringing blessing to others. 2 Corinthians, 11, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 11, but you must help us in prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted through the prayers of many. Receiving from God, healing from God, victory from God, triumph from God, defeat over enemies from God, joy, um, bringing glory to the Father, blessing others. All of this is missed out if we don't pray. We are called to pray. And we have to learn to do so. That's why the disciples said, Lord, will you teach us to pray? So in answer to the request of the disciples and the repeated emphasis on why and the benefits of prayer, we come now to this middle section of the prayer and particularly verse 10, the second half of verse 10 that we're thinking about this morning. It tells us not only what to pray for, but how we are to pray. And he says, your, pray like this, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the first thing to notice about this part is this. We come to God who has a will of his own. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. That's exceedingly important to remember that God has a will of his own. Because it immediately takes our eyes off ourselves and places them upon God. 
Not what I want, but what he wants. That's what we're called to pray about. God has a will of his own. Uh, you know, <laughs> you probably heard that little story about a girl, little girl, three years old or somewhere around there, and she was sitting at the kitchen table doing some crayoning while her mother was doing cooking and so on. She'd been in Sunday school the day before, and she'd heard that God was everywhere. And she said, Mommy, is God everywhere? Her mother said, yes, God is everywhere. Carried on crying. Mom, is God in this kitchen? Yes, dear, God's in this kitchen because he's everywhere. Carried on crying. After a while, she said, Mommy, is God on this table? Well, I suppose, yes. I, I wouldn't put it like that, but if he's everywhere, he's on this table. She picks up her craning box. Mom, is God in this box? <laughs> I, suppose, I suppose if he's everywhere, he is. She slammed her helmet and said, got him. <laughs> now, the trouble with us is we'd like to have God in a box so that when we need him, we can take him out and ask him for things and then put him back again. But God is not in a box. He has a will of his own. And it's that that Jesus said we're to pray about and pray for. The dictionary definition of will is determination, resolve, desire, self-determination, want, purpose. It's what God wants. There's something that God wants. Not only in the big overriding purpose of creation and all the universe that we've already been praying about, the purpose of creation, but he's working it out through time and space and working it out when I pray in my life. His will is the important thing. Just imagine that. I mean, he controls the whole universe, but he bends his ear to listen to me and he ch makes changes because of me praying. Me, little insignificant me, little imperfect me. When I'm on my knees, he has a purpose for me, a will for me being worked out in response to prayer. Now, that's important because many today look upon prayer as a kind of, I don't know, a psychological exercise. You pray because it will help you to feel better. And people will, some people will spend time in prayer because they get up off their knees and they feel, like, well, I feel a lot better now. Now, we understand that, and there is an element in which we feel better when we pray. But that's not the main purpose of prayer. It's not to make us feel better. That's not why we pray, really. I do get up off my knees when I pray. You do get up off your knees when you pray, more refreshed and so on. But some people think that that's what prayer is about, so that we are refreshed and we're relaxed and our mind is clear. Though, of course, the Bible tells us it's also a battle. But the purpose of prayer is the will of God. That's what its purpose is. Not just blessing me and giving me a nice time through the rest of the, rest of the day. In Jesus' prayer, he starts with addressing God as Father, which immediately implies his relationship and involvement. But God is not merely creator of the heavens and the earth. He's also controller of heaven and earth. He did not just create things and start it all going and then step back and let it run like a watch that was wound up and now it just runs on its own. Like a watch with a battery maybe when the battery is just running down gradually. People who think like that, and there are many that do, People who think like that, we would call deists. Theologically, they're called deists. 
that God is removed from everyday life. Yes, he's in some way controlling everything. Everything's under his control, but he's not involved. The world runs itself. They are deists. He's, he's not intervening. He's not participating. He's transcendent. He's the God up there somewhere. But he's not imminent. He's not involved in my life. There are many who feel like that. Creation to them is a closed system in which creation and nature itself determines everything that happens. It's one of the tenets, of course, of the evolutionary theory. Natural law, that Mother Nature takes over everything. Now Mother Nature is in control of this world. Which makes prayer a waste of time. After all, it's nonsense. It's nonsense. Those who think like that re reject the intervention of God in our life in any way at all. No divine revelation necessary. No intervention of God in miraculous ways in our life. But Jesus taught us to pray not only that God is Father, but because he is Father, he has a will for our lives that changes our lives. So the first thing is God has a will of his own. Secondly, God has chosen to use my prayer in the working out of his will. That's why we are called to pray like this. I pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ultimately, that's why we pray. For God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray about something, especially when it's something difficult, like we're praying for somebody's healing, for example, we often add at the end of it, if this is your will, nevertheless, your will, not mine, be done. And we pray like that. And sadly, it can sometimes become, because of our human frailty, a sort of tagline to prayer. Oh, this is what I'm praying for, but your will be done. And so on. And it just becomes a tagline. Whereas it ought to be the conscious attitude of our hearts. Actually, I'm praying for this, but your will may supersede my will. And I want your will rather than my will. I would want to bring my will in line with your will so that when I pray for things, you also are able to bring them about because it's your will too. But overall, I want your will to be done, not just mine. It's like when we pray, and at the end of our prayer, we say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Do you ever think about carefully about what that means? It's just a sort of tagline to sort of wind it up, to finish it off. But actually, it has great meaning, which isn't our subject, so I'm not going to go into it now. <laughs> so, we use your will be done so often because, well, we don't know really. So, let's just say your will be done. I've been in prayer meetings, and I guess you have too, where the leader or somebody in the prayer meeting says, no, we should accept our sense of authority in it and use it. And we use it as a command. Your will be done. The Stoics used to think that the way things happen is inevitable. The uh, Sikhs do. Many of the Hindus do as well. Just it's inevitable. You know, it just runs and whatever you say and do, it won't make any difference. The Muslims feel a bit like that about God. God is not to be known as an interventionist God. 
que sera, sera is an attitude that they would have. You know, whatever will be, will be. Because God's in control. But no, Jesus is saying, he's calling us to pray for God's intervention in our circumstances. His involvement. I mean, Jesus himself prayed like this, which we've already touched on this morning. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you as, as your will be done. Not why my will, but yours be done. That's why we pray for the working out of God's will. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He has things he wants to give, to do, to make, to change. And we pray that he will do that. Of course, there are occasions when we find it difficult to pray because we simply don't know what to pray for. Well, Paul addresses even that in Romans 8. He says in verse 26, The Spirit helps us in our weakness because we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit, and this is the important part, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. In other words, the Spirit knows the will of God. So he takes even the groanings of our hearts when we don't know what to say and we can't put it into words. He takes the groanings of our hearts, those childish words that we pour out in his presence. He takes the groanings, the childish expressions, and he makes them meaningful in God's presence because he knows what God's will is when we don't. The Spirit knows him and he that's why God answers when the Spirit takes our prayers and makes them meaningful in God's presence. So when I pray, I come to a God who has a will of his own. And God has chosen, secondly, to use my prayers in the working out of his will. Thirdly, why then do I specifically pray for God's will to be done? Why not just sit back and let it happen? Well, two things. Firstly, because the Bible teaches that God's will is best for us, as well, if I can put it in these human terms, best for God. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says this, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, perfect will. In other words, his will is not just something that makes God satisfied. His will is something that pleases us too. It's pleasing and good. And perfect for us too. God is good. And if I want my life to be good and pleasing and perfect, then I will want God's will in my life. I need to know God's will. Not in abstract form, you know, God bless everything. But in specific terms, we ask for him to intervene in our lives. That's why we pray for God's will to be done. It's the best for us well as for God. And secondly, because the Bible teaches the, that the will of God is our sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. The work of God, the will of God, started in us, bringing us to know Jesus as our own personal Savior and Lord, and we call that justification process of justification where Jesus work on the cross 
becomes real in my life and I'm justified, I'm put right with God. It starts by bringing me to Christ, but it's worked out through the ongoing work of the, and will of God in my life, which we call sanctification. I'm being changed more into his likeness, being made more holy. In other words, praying for the will of God is praying for change in my life, to be more holy. And in so doing, to discover God's pleasing, perfect, good will, in spite of what I might think even now it's best. So firstly, we pray to God who has a will of his own. Secondly, we realize that God has chosen to use my prayers to bring that about. Thirdly, I pray specifically for his will because it changes me and brings complete satisfaction to me. And fourthly and lastly, how do we want to see God's will demonstrated? Well, he says in this prayer, on earth as it is in heaven. That's how. We want it demonstrated on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I want you to notice something here. Jesus did not teach us to pray, your will be done on earth and in heaven. Because that would be to imply that God's will is not yet done in heaven. We're praying that your will will be done in heaven and on earth. But that's not what he said. He's pray, he says, you should pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As it's already being worked out in heaven. As it is already seen in heaven. Three things to mention there. Firstly, there was a time when the will of God was challenged in heaven. Isaiah 14, Revelation chapter 12, both speak about it. When Satan raised his head as one of the angels, we read, and began to say that he wanted to take over God's throne. It's pictured in those human terms. I'm sure it's a much bigger thing than that, but it's pictured like that for us to understand. He was asserting himself to take God's throne. And when you read about it in um, Isaiah 14, it's interesting how it's expressed. It talks about Satan saying, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set my throne on high. I will ascend above the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Every time he's like, I will, I will, I will, I will. He was wanting his will, not God's will. And God said, no, you won't. And Revelation 12 pictures him being cast out of heaven and his followers, his angels, his evil spirits were cast out with him. So there was a threat to God, but God would never let that take root and sin has never been allowed there in heaven. Heaven is described as the place where there is no more sin and there's no more sadness and no more sickness. All the consequences of sin are dealt with. So none of those things exist in heaven. No pain and suffering, no grieving, no death in heaven. So when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying, Lord, will you please destroy all evidence and all consequence of sin, including that which raises its head in my will. Will you please destroy it? Will you change me so that my will is not mine any longer, but it is yours? To put it in those terms. The Lord is in the heavens and won't allow anything to destroy it. And so he says that's how we're to pray. Pray that 
As God works in heaven, so he will work on earth. As in heaven, so in me. That's the first thing. There was a time when sin was threatening to come into heaven and God put it right straight away. Secondly, now the angelic beings who have access to heaven and belong there, the hosts of heaven are described now as doing his will. Psalm 103 verse 20. You mighty angels who do his bidding and obey his will. No dissension in heaven anymore. No other beings raising their will against God. Not at all. All those in God's presence now obey his will. They do his bidding. And this prayer says, as in heaven, Lord, will you do it on earth? Thirdly, Jesus himself, God's son, came to do God's will and continues to do it perfectly. John 4.34, he said himself, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. John 6.38, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. That, said Jesus, is what we're to pray for. God's will on earth as it is in heaven. We pray to God who has a will of his own. We must realize that God uses our prayers in working out his will. We pray because God's will changes us and brings the best for us. We pray that his will will be unrivaled on earth and in me, just as it is in heaven. Let's pray together, shall we? And as we pray, I'm just going to use that prayer that comes in. We use it as a benediction often, but it comes in Hebrews. Let me use it as a prayer at the end of this time together. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever.